Okay, so um, today as part of our series on kingdom, uh, on the kingdom of God, I want to look at kingdom influence, and this is part one, and we're going to look at salt, you are salt from Matthew 5, which follows directly on from the Beatitudes, and we're going to be asking the question, how do we influence the world in which we live, and uh, what kind of influence do we have? So quite simple. How do we influence the world, and what kind of influence do we have? So firstly, what is influence? Do you know what? I actually got the dictionary out for this, and I've got the Oxford Dictionary definition right here, and that is, influence is the capacity to have an effect on the character, development, or behavior of someone or something, or the effect itself, and it's written up there for you to see. But actually, I think influence is quite a hard thing to understand because for most of us, influence is more about power than influence. So, for example, I want to see something definable happen. I don't want to just have an effect, if you know what I mean. I mean, it's one of the reasons given at the moment for voter apathy. You know, we've got a general election coming up. And this is of great concern to the politicians, this voter apathy. And it's all based on the thought that I don't know if I've really got any influence. What is the point of me voting? Is it going to make any difference? Because built into all of us, we want to have influence. So we want to make a difference in the world. By the way, I should say as an aside, I hope you do vote. I think it's important that we all vote, even if you do think your influence is very small. Several years ago, I was, wo- I was working for a law firm in the centre of Birmingham, and uh, we acted for several large PLC developers, and they were buying up massive slices of land all across the country, and they were just spending millions and millions of pounds, like there was no shortage of money at all. And it just amazed me. It, it slightly blew my mind, the kind of figures that we were dealing with. We dealt with one site, I can't remember the exact figure, but it was uh, a tranche of land which included a motorway and half of Wales, it seemed. And the figure was for something like £120 million that was slushing around uh, this particular transaction. And I just thought that was incredible. I mean, the influence and the impact that they were having as developers. They particularly specialised in doing things like regeneration or brownfield sites. I loved that particularly. It seemed very kingdom-like to me. We did a load of work in the centre of Birmingham in the jewellery quarter and we converted these flats from this disused factory. And I just loved going in there and looking, knowing what it had been like, and seeing the transformation. It spoke something of the kingdom to me. And uh, these huge sums of money just seemed to mean that anything was possible. So contrast this with what we were doing in the church at the same time. (laughs) We were trying to buy the old Methodist Central Hall in the centre of Birmingham. And it was just such a sad building. It had fallen into disuse many years ago. The story of the building is incredible. It started in a time of the move of the Spirit where they had to keep extending it because so many people were getting saved. And we just longed to restore that building, restore that original purpose and intention. And it would have been such a great benefit to the city. It would have been such an amazing influence. But the few million pounds that we needed to come to 
to buy it and to then convert it was just completely out of reach for us as a relatively small church. And I did my best talking somebody into anything and the owner just wouldn't budge. He wouldn't accept the fact that for a few hundred pounds we could change his life. I must admit that when I was seeing the contrast between these millions of pounds that these developers had and the big impact that they seemed to have and compared it with our small church and the little real influence that we seem to have as a local church, I kind of felt a bit disillusioned. I felt a bit discouraged. I said, come on, God, you own the cattle on a thousand hills. We only want a measly little building. But I didn't understand, you see, what God was doing. Because instead of one big consuming building in the center of town, which in my eyes looked like great influence, that church now has got three thriving groups of people in three different neighborhoods across the city, and they're making an astonishing impact on many more lives. They don't get the profile of the big central hall, but they have all these communities that they're touching. I didn't get it. I didn't get what God was doing. I could never have predicted that. And you see, so often we want influence like the world has. But Jesus, who was and is the most influential person in the world, just confounds our understanding. He says at the beginning of Matthew 5 that the poor own the kingdom of heaven. He says that the meek will inherit the earth. He says that the peaceful get the privilege of being called sons of God. It's completely counterintuitive to our own understanding of influence. Because as this passage that we're going to look at today and next time shows that those who make up the kingdom not only influence the world, but their influence is so significant that it impacts the whole universe. The influence of the kingdom of God affects the whole universe. Let's just read the passage in Matthew chapter 5. We're going to just read verses 13 and 14. Now let's read to 16 actually. So Jesus has just laid out the Beatitudes, which I've said before, is a bit like an index for all that's to follow. And in verse 13, he turns to his disciples and he says these words. He says, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill can't be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men, that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. This is a a really well-known passage. I'm sure you've heard many talks on it. But what I want to do today and next time is just work through this passage. Today I want to focus mainly on salt And I'm just going to touch on being light because I want to give good time to both. 
My original plan was to do both in one talk, but God has just shown me so much that I didn't know before that I want to take my time and do it well. Particularly if you look at that second part on light, it ends up with the Father, and I just want to expand that next time, so I'm excited about that. But you would have heard many talks on this, I think, uh, and I suspect that you've been told very much the same sort of thing as I have when people have preached on it, and it's kind of accusatorial, you must be salt, or you must be like, come on, get it together, get your act together, this is what Jesus says, and if you're not, you're failing in some way or other, maybe you've been to a different church to me, but try hard to be this, or make every effort to be this. And this pass, but this passage, along with the rest of Matthew 5 to 8, is primarily about identity. It's not to do with more stuff that you've got to do, more laws that you've got to obey with. It's actually about identity and the wonderful and expected spirit-produced attributes of kingdom life that come from kingdom people. So really what Jesus says is, when you're in my kingdom, these are some of the things that you're going to discover about yourselves. Isn't that a better way to look at it? Because this is what I've put in. I've made you kingdom people. So keep this in mind as we go through it. I don't want anybody coming out of this talk saying, oh, I've got to do all this stuff now. So Jesus turns to his disciples at the end of the Beatitudes and he says this, you are salt. Wow, thanks Lord. (laughs) That's great. I've never thought of that before. I'm salt. I don't know what that means, do you? (laughs) I don't know if I'd know what it meant. Jesus turned around and said that to me. Oh, great, thanks. We've done a lot on identity as a church and and we know that who we are is not determined by what we do or what we feel we are or not. But it's about what Jesus says about us, who we are and how he's made us to be. It's a question of believing what he says. So Jesus says, you are salt. What does that mean? What is that about? What does it mean to be salt? Why salt? And there have been all kinds of suggestions from theologians across the years trying to work out why Jesus said you are salt. These are some of the ideas that people have come up with because salt had all sorts of uses in the ancient world. First of all, well, it's flavoring. Of course, Jesus says, you are my disciples, you're salt, you're a flavor. You make a difference like salt makes to food. You can taste whether you're there. Or you are a preservative. Salt was used for preserving meat. They didn't have refrigeration in those days. So you are salt. You, In your circumstances, you stop things going bad. Or you are salt, an additive to fertilizer. Um, that's another one. So you aid growth. You help things to grow. You make the ground better. So you're fertilizer, some more than others, I think. (laughs) Or you are salt, you're a commodity. You know, salt is where we get the word salary from. Don't know if you knew that, but there you go. I found that out. So they would pay soldiers in salt. It was a valuable commodity. So you're valuable. You're salt. You're very valuable. 
are, you are about purification. You're salt because salt was added to the sacrifice when they sacrificed things in the temple. So you're salt, you purify things. And even, I found in one place, salt by the rabbis was used as a metaphor for wisdom. And by the end of it, you think, oh my goodness, Jesus, what on earth are you saying? And I don't know. I mean, many have allegorized, many have made up all kinds of stories about why Jesus might have said you're salt. And we can't be sure which one of them it is. And it may have been all of them. Or it may have been some of them. But the only thing we can actually be sure about, just in case you're getting worried for me now, thinking he's prepared this talk, and he actually doesn't know what he's talking about. Well, it got pretty near that in the preparation, I must say. But one thing that we can be absolutely sure about when it comes to salt is that salt makes a difference, and that earth would be a very different place without it. That is the clearest thing that we can say. Salt makes a difference in the earth. You can all breathe a sigh of relief now. But Jesus says, you are salt of the earth. You are the salt of the earth. Now that word earth, it actually means the earth. (laughs) It's actually the place that we live in. And salt is one of those raw materials that's found in the earth. It's, it's part of the raw materials of the planet that helps to sustain life. So take, for example, the human body. Buper says that there are two components of salt, sodium and chloride, both important for several processes within your body. So sodium is essential for your nerves to work properly and for you to be able to contract your muscles. So without salt, you wouldn't be able to move. Sodium is, or chloride is also important for the juices in your stomach and your bowels. It helps you to digest food. So it's all about digestion. If you couldn't digest, you wouldn't live. You wouldn't be able to take food in. And um, are you interested in this? Uh, both sodium and chloride keep the fluid levels in your body balanced. The fluid levels, without fluid, you know, our bodies are mostly made up of water. That's my excuse anyway. (laughs) But it's to do with life. Without salt, we wouldn't live. But earth is also a metaphor for the world of humankind. And so just as salt is a vital raw material for life to be sustained... Jesus is also saying that it's a crucial ingredient in the world for the human race. There needs to be salt. There needs to be salt in the human race. The world needs kingdom people, Jesus is saying. It's that important, it's life and death. I find that hard to believe, do you? That the world needs us like that? I mean, when you look around the world, it doesn't seem that the world pays us that much attention, does it? In fact, the only attention we seem to get these days is negative, or they kill Christians. So it seems that the world would rather be without us. Perhaps they would be better without us. What would the world be like without us, without Christians, without the salt that Jesus says is so important for the world? 
I mean, it's an intriguing question, isn't it? Do you remember the Left Behind series? You probably shouldn't watch it. Doctrinally incorrect. But they tried to imagine what it would be like if the church was suddenly taken. What would the world be like without us? How have we touched the world? How do we make a difference? You know, salt, I don't even know this, it's often noticed more by its absence than its presence. Do you know what I mean? So when you sit down and you eat your meal, you start to eat your rice, oh, there's no salt in this. You notice it straight away. But when you sit down and you eat your rice and it's been salted, you, think, you don't think, oh, there's salt in this. You notice it when it's not there more than when it is there. What would the world be like without us? It's one of the reasons why I love that film. My favourite Christmas film is Frank Capra's film, It's a Wonderful Life. Anybody? It's nearly Christmas, people. We're halfway through the year almost. It's almost time for a wonderful life again. I love that film. It's my favourite film. I've even watched it outside of Christmas period in the summer because I love it so much. But I love it because George Bailey is the central character, just for those uneducated ones. He thinks that his life is worthless and meaningless. And uh, he gets very depressed. I mean, maybe you've thought like that. My life is worthless and meaningless. What am I doing here? That's what he thought. But he has an encounter with an angel called Clarence. I've never met Clarence. But he has an encounter with an angel who shows him supernaturally what the world would be like without him. I'm having fun. I love being at church. And it's just amazing going through the film to see the influence on this one life. The, the, the influence that this one life had on the world. It's played out to great effect. The town had inadvertently been shaped by his presence, we see. And the death of two people at least was prevented because of his presence. At work, his presence meant that his boss wasn't disgraced by a mistake. But, you know, until that angel in the story enabled George Bailey to see the impact of his life, he never really believed that the world would have been a better place with him. He got to see what the world would be like without him. And he found out that actually he was more important than he ever knew. It's the same for you. You are more important than you know. Your presence in the world, church, is more important than you realize. And if you are one of those people that's saying, I don't know what I'm doing here, I just want to say to you that's a lie. Jesus has a purpose for you and for your life. I just felt like that that was important to say for somebody today. You know, the world would be a very different place without you. Your family would be a very different place without you. Your workplace. I mean, sometimes you think, oh, they'll never miss me. I met up with my boss, I hadn't seen him for, I don't know, 10 years. He says, we've never replaced you, you know. You made such a difference in the workplace. 
I, I tend to believe that that's a positive comment. Thank you, Steve. Do you know this church would be a very different place without you, Steve? <laughs> because Jesus says it's so. Jesus says it's so. The world needs salt. The world needs the kingdom of God. The world needs the people of God. And we've got some great examples, you know, of people here amongst us in the church of salt, who are salty people that the world needs. God's positioning people. And for each of you and all of us, we have influence as kingdom people wherever we go. And you know, sometimes your influence is one of preservative, preserving stuff, stopping it going bad. You know, sometimes it's right to just stand up and say, guys, that's wrong, we're not having that. I remember getting into a dispute in the workplace because one of the partners was bullying. And I thought, I'm going to have to do something about this. Now, taking on a partner, if you understand, it's a really big deal. Your job's gone, really. You fall out with a partner, your job's gone. But fortunately, I was able somehow to stand and resist this partner, and they went, not me. Sometimes we need to do that. We need to be salt in the workplace and stand and say, no, that's wrong. We need to be preservative. And sometimes your influence is one of flavour. You know, you go into some workplaces or, or even into some family situations and it's all criticism. It's all negativity. You're meant to flavour that. You're meant to bring a difference there. You're meant to bring adjustments. Change the flavour of that circumstance. Or that situation. Don't enter into it. Sometimes our influence is about added value. Just being there, you bless people. Sometimes that's true, just being there. Sometimes it's about your wisdom. Sometimes it's about your purity. Sometimes it's about justice. You name it, your influence counts for something. And you're making a difference because you are salt. Because Jesus says so. And I want to believe what Jesus says. Amen? But at the same time, being salt, I've been thinking a lot about this. I'm salt. What does that mean? I'm salt. Same thing about being salt is it's not a passive thing. You see, if you think about salt, I become really identified with it. You think about salt, it's not just a noun, is it? I mean, salt doesn't just sit there on the shelf and it's salt. That's salt. You know, salt does something. It has an effect. It has an impact. You know, some people say, oh, just being a Christian, being there, that's all you need to do. Well, there is that. But Christian just being there isn't being salt. It's just being a slightly odd character that stands near the edge of things. If you are salt, you get involved and you make a difference you affect the flavour and the atmosphere of that place. And this is about salty living. Salty living. I read a great great quote uh, this week from Heidi Baker. And she says, you know, every Christian believes in love. You know, you don't get, in all of the disagreements of theology and doctrine and all that, none of them disagree on this. Every Christian believes in love. But that's not enough, because she says love 
looks like something. You can't just say, yeah, I believe in love. No, love has to have an action. Something has to happen. You, I mean, how do you think my wife would feel if I said to her, love, you know that I love you. See, I even said love. I know that I love you, but I never show her any affection. I never do anything with her. I never touch her. I never hug her. But I keep telling her that I love her. She wouldn't be very impressed. So why do we think it's okay just to be salt but not do anything with it? Love has an action. Love has an impact. Salt has an effect. So it may mean for us loving the unlovely. That's an action that salt does. Preserving. Changing the flavour. It may mean standing up for those that can't stand up for themselves. It means having a good work ethic. It means living out of your identity and making an impact on your environment. As I said at the beginning, this isn't a guilt thing or it's not an obligation. For kingdom people, these salty attributes flow out of the kingdom life that is already in you. Salt makes things salty. (laughs) Because of who you are and what you do, things around you will get salty. Do you like that picture? Salt goes out as you go out, as you affect where you are. And it leaves its mark. And it gives you influence. Salt gives you influence. You're with me? So what kind of influence do we have? I've already used, I think, probably a rather inadequate illustration because it's almost the inverse of influence, saying, what would the world be like if I wasn't here? It's a rather negative picture. So I want to use two more illustrations, and it comes from Jesus himself, which Luke records for us in chapter 13. So Luke chapter 13. And it's the parables of the mustard seed and the yeast. What kind of influence do I have? How does it work? Here we go. Jesus says this in verse 18. What is the kingdom of God like? Kind of that's what we've been asking today. What is this salt? What is the kingdom of God like? What shall I compare it to? Well, Jesus says, it's like a mustard seed, which is the smallest of all seeds. You can blow it away. And it's like a mustard seed which a man took and planted in his garden. It grew and became a tree and the birds perched in its, in, in its branches. A mustard seed, a man took, he planted it in his garden. It grew and it became a tree. It grew, it grew, it expanded. And birds often thought to mean people that see and know, people that discern what's going on. Birds came and nested in the trees. They could see what was going on. This tree had grown up. Influence grows. Again, he asked in verse 20, what shall I compare the kingdom of God to? Well, it's like yeast. A woman took this yeast and mixed it into about 30 kilograms of flour until it worked through the whole dough. It worked through the whole dough. It affected the whole thing. See, kingdom influence exists simply in who we are as people of the kingdom inherently, because we are salt, but it grows. 
when it's planted or whether it's mixed into its environment. The saltiness has to be worked in. It has to become rooted. And it takes work. It takes endurance. It takes staying power. It comes through the deliberate growing of relationships with those that don't know Jesus yet. It comes with mixing in with unbelievers. And do you know what? There's no fear of contamination. Why? Because salt preserves things and cleans them. It's an antiseptic. (laughs) No fear of contamination. In fact, you contaminate the world with your saltiness. You wait and see what happens to the slugs. Just a thought. You contaminate the world. You don't need to be afraid of the big and the bad and the ugly. It grows as we touch people with our lives. You know, planting speaks of putting your roots down. It speaks of commitment. It speaks of getting stuck in. Putting down roots with people. Being there for them, letting your saltiness rub off on them. You know, we've um, just come back from a week away, and we've known uh, the couple next door from this house for many, many years. And we've tried several times to get the opportunity to pray with them, talk to them about Jesus. And we knew particularly that the woman was very, very against that. When we were there, we'd not been there very long, and and the husband made a beeline for us. He just came and stood next to Alison in the garden while she was doing something. And we sort of, what, this is a bit bizarre. What, what's going on here? He's never done this before. And then he just went away because his wife called him back. And we stood there and looked at the, what is going on here? There's something going on here. We just felt like this was a God thing. And then the next morning I was um, praying. And I had the door open. And I was just praying for this man and, and for his wife. I said, Lord, would you just give us an opportunity this time? I want to be able to share something with them. I want to be salt for them. And then within seconds, I'm not kidding you, he walked round the corner, which he's never done before. He came into the, and stood at the door and said, I need to come and talk to you. What? I said, come in, come in, a cup of coffee, sit down. And he said, last night my wife got taken into hospital. And I'm really worried. I don't know what to do about it. I said, well, do you know what? I was just praying for you. He says, I've said some prayers myself this morning. I said, oh, do you believe in God? And then this conversation just opened up. And do you know, the amazing thing is I got to pray with him. I've known him for years. We've put down some roots. We've made an effort getting to know them, getting to talk to them. We don't see them a lot, but whenever we go, we make sure that we talk to them. And then this opportunity has come. Got to pray with him. He's been in agony with his back from an accident he had many, many years ago. He says he's got no pain in his back anymore. Isn't that amazing? Praise God. We prayed for his wife, and his wife, she came out of hospital the next day, and what they feared would happen didn't happen, which is exactly what we prayed. Isn't God good? Isn't he good? Wonderful. Thank you, Jesus. Getting your roots down. Mixing in. Getting involved with people. Jesus wants our influence to grow. 
Did you know that? He wants your influence to grow wherever you are. As you get stuck in. He wants the life of the kingdom to spread out through us and into our relationships, into our community, throughout the whole world. Do you know the influence that you have? Do you know how salty you are? Is it growing? I believe that there are some people amongst us who are going to see the effect of that growing influence for the kingdom in this next season. I really believe that. I just felt as I was preparing that there were some, there's some relationships that, that people had and you've been praying, Lord, will you give me breakthrough like we did on holiday? And you're going to see breakthrough and you're going to get to pray with some people and lead them to Christ. I believe that. I believe that the influence is growing. It's as we come to understand our identity and who we are and we stand in that confidence that the salt begins to rub off. Who wants some of that? Jesus, just release that across this room. In Jesus' name, let the saltiness spread. I pray for growing influence throughout the church in Jesus' name. Now, Jesus goes on with the metaphor uh, to talk about salt then that loses its saltiness. And it includes a warning, actually, for those that do lose their saltiness. And he talks about them being thrown out or trampled underfoot, which is quite a scary prospect, really. Salt that loses its saltiness. I mean, how can this happen? How can salt lose its saltiness? How can salt stop being salty? Well, do you know what? It can't. It's not physically possible. It's not chemically possible for salt to lose its saltiness. Salt is salt. It's a stable chemical compound that you might remember from school. It can't change. It can't possibly lose its saltiness. It just wouldn't be salt anymore. So did Jesus get it wrong? Was it just that he didn't know chemistry? Like me when I went to school? (laughs) What was he saying? Well, perhaps this is what Jesus meant. Looking around where he was, he was near the Red Sea. A lot of the salt that they had would have come from the Red Sea. It would have been distilled from the seawater there. And when it was distilled, a lot of the mixture that came out wasn't salt. It was mixed in with gypsum. And, and people, untrained eyes, would have thought that it was the same thing. They would, and even would have tried to mix it in to kind of make a quick buck. So maybe Jesus was saying then it's, it's about those that are fake. There's some fake salt about those that act like they're Christians, they've got all the externals. You know, they stand up, they sit down, they put their arms up in the air, but they're not really Christians. They're not of the kingdom. They're not kingdom people. Maybe Jesus was saying about that, and he said, I'm warning you. You can't do that. You can't fake it. You need to have a relationship with God. You know, Jesus says elsewhere that many will come in that day saying, didn't we do this? Didn't we do that in your name? We healed this, we threw out that. And Jesus said, I'll turn to them and I'll say to them, I never knew you. You never had a personal relationship with me. And that's that's a stark warning. You need to have a personal relationship with Jesus. If you haven't got one, you need to have a relationship with Jesus. You can't just act out 
and pretend like you're a Christian. Because one day you have to stand before God and he'll say to you, I didn't know you, sorry mate, don't recognise you from Adam. (laughs) See what I did there? (laughs) Got to be quick today. Alternatively, it might be a warning for those that are genuine, but they've allowed impurities to be mixed in with the salt. You see, and that would actually happen. It would fit with the idea of road building in Jesus' time. What they would do is they would mix in the salt with other building materials, and so the salt would be literally trampled underfoot. I think it's probably both of those, but whatever it is, it's a warning. It's a warning for us to be genuine with God. It's a warning for us to have clear identity in Christ as sons and daughters of God. It's a warning for us to know who we are in Christ and what we're called to do as ambassadors of his kingdom in the world today. I don't want to be trampled. You know, some Christians live like they're trampled all the time. You don't need to be trampled. You're salt. You're meant to be making an impact, not trodden on. Training for reigning. See, salt, let me say this to you. I think this is really encouraging. Salt cannot lose its saltiness. You're salt, and you can't stop being salt. Come on. I'm encouraging myself, because nobody's saying anything. (laughs) I thought that was a good point. Should I say it again? That was just a practice run. Let me say this. Salt cannot lose its saltiness. Come on. (laughs) Oh, dear. But it can get a bit mixed up. It can, you know, stuff happens, life happens. Circumstances, stress, emotional knocks. And we just dial things down a bit and go quiet. Yeah? Salt can get a bit mixed up with other stuff or fear can get in. You know, perhaps people have reacted in the past to your saltiness. Now you think, oh, I'm not doing that again. Because, you know, salt, when it hits some open wounds, I've got some on my hand, I did decorating yesterday. You know, and when salt hits a cut, it's painful and there's a reaction. Sometimes, guys, you hit some, some pain. You hit some cuts, you hit some reaction, and there's a reaction. And so you back off, you think, oh, I'm not going there again. Some fear gets in, gets mixed in with fear. Or there can be an area of sin that just, the devil just sits on you and condemns you and you just feel so inadequate as a Christian. How can I be salt? Jesus says there's no condemnation for those that are in Christ. And if you confess your sin, he's faithful and just to forgive you your sin and cleanse you from all unrighteousness instantly. Amen. You can be made salty again by allowing the Holy Spirit to wash you clean and remind you of who you are in Christ and begin to function again in that identity. I just want to encourage you to do that. I want to encourage you salty people. You know, Next time I want to return to the part of the passage about light and show you how kingdom influence doesn't just affect the world but the whole universe. But I want to just talk about salt for now and say, are you salty enough? Or have you lost some of your saltiness? 
You know, Jubilee Church is all about seeing lives changed by the power of God. That's what we want. We want to celebrate changed lives. We want to be a church that makes a difference, don't we? I said, we want to be a church that makes a difference. I'm feeling mischievous today. That's what happens when I take time off. And that means that we've got to be a whole bunch of salty Christians. And I believe that, first of all, you know, I I really believe that God wants to put his finger on that lie that some have been believing about themselves. If you've been believing that lie that the world would be a better place without you, I just want to break that off you now in Jesus' name and set you free. It's a lie. It's not true. Because, you know, if you knew who you were and you stood in who you are, you are a greater threat to the enemy than he is ever to you. So I just break that lie off you. If you've been thinking that, if you've been entertaining suicidal or dark thoughts, I just break that off you now in Jesus' name and set you free. It's not true. Amen. And for others, it may be just that the salt has got a bit mixed up. In the last few years, you know, I've not got the same zeal. You know, I often talk to people, say, oh, do you know, when I first got saved, I was telling everybody. But now, you know, a bit disappointed, a bit kind of... Maybe you've got a bit jaded. Not got that same edge. Lost some of your saltiness. I encourage you just to repent, come back to God, stand on your identity. The busyness of life that's overwhelmed, just give it to God. And some of you, it's just that longing for growing influence. Do you know what? It's not wrong to be ambitious for the kingdom of God. It isn't wrong. (laughs) We want to encourage one another. Come on, let's go for it. Let's influence. Let's make a difference. And some of you, there's just been a longing for that influence. Oh God, I, I long to be used by you. I long for you to break out through me. Not in my workplace. I've seen some amazing miracles in my workplace, you know. I haven't got time to tell you now. I work for the church. <laughs> but even before that, There's just a growing dissatisfaction. I want influence. I want to see people saved. I believe there's a lot of people like that at the moment. Some breakthrough needed. And then finally, there just may be one or two that you just know my life isn't matching up to what I'm saying on the outside. I know. I don't even really know if I'm a Christian. I want to give you the opportunity to make that clear today. No more faking it, eh?